Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And today we're going to be talking to you about some cookbooks that we've read, yeah, rounding those, that, them those, up. Those cookbooks just keep on coming, don't they? They do indeed. And uh, people, even though they will go on the Internet for a recipe, um, they'd like to read cookbooks. They just keep publishing more and more cookbooks because the cookbook itself has changed you get little stories behind it. You get oh, yeah, dishes and lots, memoirs. Lots of stories. I yeah. mean, there are life stories behind each one each one of these books. Yes. And uh, they're, they're very interesting sets of recipes and all that kind of stuff. And, and a good sense of place where, where they come. And how are we starting off? We're, st- we're starting off with what looked at first sight just like a vineyard. Yeah. And it, it, and it is a vineyard, but it's a vineyard with a whole lot of... Food going on too. Yeah, a lot's going on at Stone Edge Kitchen uh, Vineyard, and the book is the Stone Edge Kitchen Larder Cookbook, and we're going to be talking to John McReynolds. John McReynolds, we started out on this interview uh, expedition (laughs) uh, to interview you about your latest cookbook, which is the Stone Edge Farm kitchen larder cookbook uh reading your introduction i discovered that this is a whole complex enterprise involving various pieces um farm uh, winery uh, orchards um a, a, a tasting menu restaurant a regular restaurant um right in the middle of sonoma um, wine tastings, <laughs> what, what, uh, and the larder itself, which is what the cookbook's about, which I'm envious of because I always wanted a well-stocked larder like that, but it's a lot of work. Well, uh, sort of edges into this, stone edges into this. Well, I started uh, lardering. I don't know if that's a word or not, lardering, it but I started now. lardering uh, uh Probably about 10 years ago when I first started working uh, as a chef for Stone Edge Farm, the estate, which is uh, where we grow all of our produce and we have olive trees that we turn into olive oil and we have our, <laughs> our vineyards. So it's really uh, an American fattoria. Uh, and uh, so I started lardering then because I just felt like Wow, there, I have all of this at, at, at my fingertips, but I don't have it all year round. So what am I going to do with all those tomatoes? And yeah, I can can them and I can uh, dry them. But so I started seriously getting into it about 10 years ago uh, by canning and dehydrating. And uh, uh, one of my most, let's say, exciting and groundbreaking uh, projects was uh, learning how to to harvest acorns from the oak trees. Oh yeah, that was interesting. And, and, and then we turn that acorns into acorn flour, flour. No. and start using them in our cooking. So, I mean, talk about going going local. We're going. That's local in and California. <laughs> that's that's our that should be on the state flag. The uh, the oak tree because it's it's everywhere and. Uh, it, it fed our 
our uh, indigenous peoples here in, in California for, for centuries. And uh, so I had a lot of fun learning how to make products out of things that we grew, but also things that I, I foraged and, uh, and started getting in, interested in foraging at about the same time, about 10 years ago, uh, since we live in a beautiful a yes. beautiful valley with Mention a lot of where you woodlands live. Uh, around. So, tell us where you live. Let me tell our listeners where you live. Are them where you live? Well, we live in uh, in the beautiful Sonoma Valley. So, it's north of San Francisco, uh, about an hour's drive. Uh, so, it's the Sonoma Valley. The next valley over is Napa Valley, right? Which I'm sure everybody knows about. There, they do some wonderful things there too, and. Sonoma is a little greener because we're I love one Sonoma. valley closer to the ocean, so we're we're about thirty miles from the Pacific Ocean. So we get the um, the influence in the summer of the fog. So we'll see uh, the fog rolling in on the uh, the west end of the valley, coming over the over the the mountain range. So we tend to have hot, dry summers that cool in the evening when the fog comes in. So that's kind of our natural weather pattern. So Beautiful. It's, uh, it's pretty comfortable most of the time. How did you get there, by the way? Well, uh, I, came, I, I was born and raised in, um, in what is now called Silicon Valley in uh, part of San Jose called Campbell mm-hmm. uh, and grew up there and moved away traveled to Europe, went to cooking school, moved all over all over Europe, uh, met my wife in Germany, and we I settled down in German in southern Bavaria and learned learned about uh, the, how they cooked there in Bavaria and Austria and then uh, moved back here to Sonoma. Uh, I'd never really been to Sonoma, but uh, my wife and I discovered it on a on a a day trip from San Francisco mm-hmm. where we temporarily were staying in a friend's uh, apartment and we both fell in love with it and we just moved here on a on a whim and uh, well now the, uh, the city square in Sonoma is just really special oh i love it's, it it's <laughs> a very special place as <laughs> peter uh, told you i, I got I, lost oh, <laughs> almost, almost, my wife was having such a good time she wandered off <laughs> The largest plaza in California it was um, uh, constructed originally. Uh, the plaza laid out by the by the the Spanish and then the Mexicans, and then um, you know now obviously uh, we had a lot of history here. This oh was, yeah, Sonoma for a couple of years was the uh, state capital, and uh, it was uh, a a confluence of the of the the Californians and the uh, and the Americans and the uh, Mexicans and the Spanish and so it's uh, it really has the flavor of of being a a slightly uh, international place to me and uh, sometime in the 1800s the uh, uh, Italian immigrants settled here German immigrants and that was really the start of the the California. Uh, wine industry with uh, with Sonoma being uh, uh, really the starting place for 
the California wine industry. So now you got uh, in. You haven't so far mentioned that you also you also got into growing grapes and making wine. Oh yes, I forgot about wine. So I do work for a winery, <laughs> uh, Stone Edge Farm Winery. So the um, the actual business that we're in is making growing grapes and making wine and then selling the wine. So um, the the whole restaurant uh, that we operate really is a way of uh, giving back to our what we call our collectors. Uh, some some other wineries call them club members. Uh, we try to um, give a, a unique experience uh, through our food. So our owners, uh, Mac and Leslie McQuown, have. Uh, Decided that they really want there to be a strong food component with our wines, since their uh, full-body California Cabernet Sauvignon is is our number one uh, wine. So uh, their thought is, and it makes a lot of sense that those those kind of wines need food to uh, to really um, show them at their best. So they very early on when they hired me. Uh, 11 years ago they had it in their mind that they wanted uh, they wanted food to be a very important part of the winery so now we have a restaurant and I have a chef and several people working in the restaurant all to uh, support the winery uh, with the, the food component now yeah. how, did, how did you get to know so much about growing grapes and making wine I mean the the way you describe it, there, there are some serious things you decided to do, which which make your wines even more special. I never, I never, for example, ever heard of cold soaking grapes before. No, me neither. Yes. Well, I can't take credit for the wine. the the um, The winemaker Jeff Baker uh, is he's the maestro, and he's been making wine for almost to 40 years, so oh, wow. he's, he has got a lot of experience, and uh, he and Mac uh, uh, were partners in a winery uh, called Carmine, which was um, uh, part of a larger wine group called the Shalom Wine Group that included Shalom Winery and Edna Valley and, uh, and uh, three or four other brands, and... Uh, now, Mac is a real connoisseur, connoisseur and collector, right? Ab- yes, absolutely. Passionate. And, uh, so my passion is not, is, of course, the wine. Uh, I love the wine and I love to drink it and eat, eat wonderful meals with, <laughs> while drinking the wine and, uh, and actually using the wine in cooking. But my, my, my expertise is really the, the, the food component and the hospitality end of it. So, sure. Well, uh, well, let, well let's let's slide back now to the to the subject that we started with, which is this really luxurious cookbook, the kitchen larder. So, well, first I have to explain to a lot of people. Not British people know what a larder is, but a lot of American people don't. It's not really a common. It's coming back, here. though. Have you noticed that? that oh, I'm hope. I hope I'm going to bring it back. I I think, uh, you know, I I'm, think I, I think the Game of Thrones uh, 
for mentioning larder a few times in some of their episodes. So I remember uh, using the term um, in the 90s and not sure that the, my readers, I was doing a restaurant criticism at the time, and, right. and, and I was reviewing a, um, a restaurant whose chef threw everything in, and, and my headline was Latch the Larder. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, but I don't think many people understood it, but now it's becoming more common. Right. Well, we, it started sort of naturally with us, with me. Uh, I was mostly on my own doing the, the food preservation. And then as, when Fiorella uh, Boutron came to work for us, she had a lot of experience with the, the, um, the lacto-fermented uh, products, which I really, beyond making sauerkraut and kimchi, I didn't really have a lot of experience in the lacto-fermentation. But that really um, is, I think, a game changer uh, just in in the way you can preserve vegetables or pretty much anything. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to check that. that, that, uh, that extra component of flavor of that, that, that sort of I, slightly sour, um, strong, sometimes acidic flavor of the, of the lacto-fermented. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a zealous, absolutely zealous um, a preserved lemon person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, but your recipe is different from what I do, and I just wondered, I'm going to have well, to try Well, there's so many yours. different ways to do it, and I've, I, uh, you know, uh, who else lives in Sonoma is Paula Wolfert, the famous... Oh, I know uh, Paula, yes. Paula, and uh, she, you know, I used to do, follow her recipe, and that, that worked great, but this you know, kind of a, we adapted our own version, and uh, pretty much uh, all you need is the, the salt and the uh, and the lemon juice, and you know whether you cut up the lemons or we like to leave them whole. Yeah, so I do you too. Know, yeah. and they they all seem to work, and um, that's the beauty of there's 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 a lot of room for for different versions and. It sounds like you've traveled all over the world, as I have, and every culture has fermented foods, and oh, yes. uh, that's that's a component in in all cuisines that really tie us all together. It's really so, important for health too. Oh, absolutely! So I try to eat a little fermented food every day, and uh, yeah, I do. I drink the or for, or fermented fermented beverages. I try to drink every day too. Well, that's that's a good thing. Especially if you're in the wine business, that's a really good thing. Right. Now, you, you mentioned now uh, some of the characters. You have a, it's a very colorful crew. And, oh, yes. Well, yeah. the three of us that wrote the book, I, myself, uh, Fiorella Boutron, and Mike Emanuel. So uh, Mike is the personal chef for the owners, and then uh, he spends a couple of days a week with us at Edge, at our restaurant, and Mike, uh, very uh, very colorful guy. He worked uh, for several years at Chez Panisse uh, restaurant in Berkeley, so he's bringing that lineage and that knowledge base. So I've definitely learned a lot from Mike. Yeah, they're all uh, over these alums from Chez Panisse, all over that area. Uh, oh yeah, and, uh, typically what happens to the Chez Panisse alums? Um, it's hard work to be a chef in a restaurant, and after so many years, uh, what 
what I've noticed that these Chez Panisse alums, they, they turn to private chefing and they become personal chefs. And since we live in a, in a, in an area where there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of CEOs of, uh, high tech companies. So they tend to go out and uh, become personal chefs, uh, which, Really is has a lot of advantages, uh, as especially as you're getting up there in years. You, you, you know, the line cook in a busy restaurant is really a younger person. That's uh, it's a young person's profession. Right. So yeah. when it, you get a little older, you, you get into your forties, you start looking around, going, "Well, it sounds pretty good <laughs> to have a you know <laughs> job as a, somebody's personal chef." So, uh, so Mike was. Uh, a personal chef for many years for a, a, a family in uh, the Bay Area, and then uh, we found him. So he became part of our crew, and then through him we found uh, Fiorella. So, whose background is fascinating? Yeah, she's from Peru, but her um, like a lot of people in South America. I visited Peru last year. Oh yeah, I love the country. Yeah. The, it's 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 sort of like America, and then it's people from all over. So her her grand one grandfather is from uh, from Liguria in in Italy. The other grandfather is from Lebanon, and uh, <laughs> so she's she's got all these food traditions in her repertoire. So she's plus the uh, uh, the Peruvian uh, uh, kitchen, which is. I love the Peruvian it's, kitchen. It's extremely hot right now. On, on internationally, I think on that that San Pellegrino top fifty restaurant list, oh, yeah. I think there's like more from Peru than any other place. Uh, it's yeah. uh, well, we did a, uh, a media tour um, for the best Latin American, uh, the fifty best Latin American restaurants one year, right. and uh, we went to a different restaurants for lunch and dinner every single day for nine days. And, oh. yeah, and the food was at such a level I couldn't even, I mean, yeah. it was hard to leave. That sounds like you have a tough job. So. <laughs> yeah, some, somebody, somebody has to do it. it where, where, I know. It wears you, it wears you out. So, and, and then you have, um, so she now is an, a fermentation expert for you as well. Yeah, she is. She, she really uh, runs the uh, the fermentation. And, you know, I'll be honest, it's not my, uh, certainly not my expertise, but the, the beautiful thing about the food world is that you can never stop learning. There's always something new to learn, and, uh, and you're never going to know it all. So uh, I, I love learning new things, and... Uh, uh, my focus the last two years has been on baking bread. So oh, yeah, that's a whole other. That's a whole issue. other. Yeah. Talk about I was sort of saving that for this part of my career. Uh, so I bake the bread for the uh, for the restaurant and for our guests, and uh, we have um, a couple of, of uh, wood ovens. So I like to do do flatbreads in the wood oven, and uh, and then bake the bread uh, for. Uh, for our service at the restaurant, yeah, so that a, gives me great joy. But also, it's it's just fun to learn new skills. 
Yeah, been. I was really thrilled to see you um, call out uh, the, the the bar tartine uh, people. Oh yeah, they're. I love her. She's fabulous. Yeah, yeah. And, Where and is that, she that, now? Actually, you know, we have a nice library in our, our our office at the restaurant, and I have all the bar tartine uh, cookbooks and the you know the the. Just, we were just making a, a bread uh, yesterday from, uh, it's a Swedish rye bread from uh, the Bar Tartine uh, uh, baking book. Uh-huh. And it just turned out wonderfully with the, uh, with all these um, these seeds and, uh, and uh, just yeah. fabulous. So. Yeah. I just uh I was just saying to Peter, um, the, the we, who was it we interviewed that had so many different breads in, but I got, it was exhausting with all the details and the science involved with this bread making. Right. <laughs> I just wanted to go to the bakery. And just go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have my basic uh, bread that I bake, uh, which is, uh, it's a combination of rye and uh, uh, spelt a couple of different wheats, and um, I used I used the natural fermentation that I feed uh, every week to keep it alive, and that's that's what I use. It's a it's a hundred percent rye ferment. So uh, it's I've started this two years ago, so I have the same ferment that I just keep in the refrigerator, and then when I'm ready to wake it up, I take it out. And start feeding it and then that's what I use for the bread. So I find the concept hysterical. I, you know. <laughs> I know. Now okay, so back to the book. Tell us how it's organized and what to find in it. Who, well, who should you get know, this book? Like like all books. Well, I don't know. I've only written two books, so it's we started the book we started in the winter and so we kind of just nat- we didn't decide to organize it by the seasons, but it basically it started. Well, we're in winter, and what do we have? What's our number one ingredient in winter? And that's citrus. So the citrus is all in the winter. So we just decided to uh, start with citrus, and we also did the photography um, consecutively. So, in other words, we we had the photographer come. Uh, eight times, and we have eight chapters. So, in the the first chapter was lemon. So she came. Uh, Leslie Lindell came and shot all the photography for uh, for that chapter, uh, all at the same time, all at the same day. And uh, so we just kept that that uh, that going. And the the next. Uh, the next chapter, we said, "Well, uh, what's what's coming next in the garden?" And that's the uh, the uh, herbs. the herbs. I say herbs; they all make fun of me. I don't know where that where that that uh, English affectation of, but I just it just sounds better to me to say herbs. It's the way it's supposed and, to be pronounced. For Christ's sake! I, mean, I, I, I never like herb. Herb. It just uh, it's never rolled off my tongue. So. Me, 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 likewise. Yes, okay. So and so we, 
that's kind of how we we sort of naturally organized it that way. And so we started looking ahead, going, well, what's what's going to come next in the garden? Well, we have our spring garlic. So we had garlic and alliums, and then we have our beautiful heirloom potatoes, and then we're in you the summer with the tomatoes and peppers. and Potatoes you can't. Uh, you can't preserve. Well, you can, yes. I was just going to say, you have Peru. Peru. And we, you know, we thought about doing a, you know, a preserved potato, but um, I forget the name of it. Um, Maybe you can remember. I can't remember, um, but it's like freeze-dried. Yeah. It It just, um, we thought, well, you know, it makes sense and if you're in Peru and you need to preserve it, but it didn't seem to translate that well for the American kitchen of people actually wanting to, or having a reason to preserve right. uh, potatoes. So. And then you go tomatoes and peppers, and yeah. you go so, figs and quinces. Why that? Well, because that's really our quintessential, <laughs> quintessential <laughs> fall when I think of fall, okay, we're, you know, we, we um, you know, there's two crops to the figs in California, the, the earlier crop and then the later crop, which comes in the fall, which is, I think, a better crop. And it just, nothing says fall to me like, like quinces and, and, uh, and figs. It just, uh, we use, we use them a lot. We, we love both of those, and uh, I think it's just uh, so many of our dishes we like to to uh, use quince. For example, we have a quince mostarda that we do with some some uh, oak grilled mostarda. pork chops, and it's just yeah. it just we we just love that uh, strong flavor of the yeah. I mean, they're great for mostarda. I think but, yes. So anyhow, you also you have uh, olives, and you make your own olive oil, uh, and a lot of emphasis on grapes because you you grow a lot of grapes, right? And so you you have your organization in your book in these, but right. you said you you then have all the recipes that um, for these ingredients are yes. in the chapter, uh, but. You say it doesn't always have to be from your larder. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, the, uh, a larder is you know, can be one thing. The one thing. I mean, that's people t- sometimes feel like they have to go all in on something, otherwise they're not going to do it. But I, I always tell people start start with something that you really like. I mean. Like I have in my house, I've got, uh, let's see, one, two, three, I have four lemon trees. So it kind of makes sense for me to find a way to preserve the lemons because oh, um, yeah. I have, you know, several hundred lemons. Yeah. And um, so my wife actually, I mean, she does her own version of, of uh, she takes the lemons, cuts them in, into quarters, whole, and then puts them in the freezer. So... That's yeah. what she likes to do. So, really, that's that's her larder. It, it could be something as simple as that. It's uh, it uh, doesn't always have to be, you know, more complicated than that. Uh, well, I mean, I think that this book, uh, listeners, 
if you get a hold of it, it's, it's a beautiful book because it's recently and they're good. Um, you will find yourself motivated to develop a larder because, I mean, I can't think of anything that looks better than all these preserved things on your shelves. <laughs> yes, it looks very good. So that's going to be the new decorating oh, yeah. thing. So people, professional decorators, will be coming into kitchens and doing whole <laughs> shelves of larder items. So that'll be, maybe that could be my new career, just be a, a larder decorator. It's an idea. It's an idea for a new book, John. You better you better get to work on it. Okay. <laughs> So again, it's John McReynolds and Friends and Associates um, yes. of Stone Edge Farm Kitchen Larder Cookbook. And listeners, I mean, it's a whole world out there that you're going to be very envious of, and as I am. And don't forget the wine, the wine under that label, and also the restaurant in downtown Sonoma Edge. called Edge. Stone Edge Farm. Edge Farm and the restaurant called Edge. Edge, correct. John McReynolds, thank you so much for joining us today. You you have a good time too. Yeah, I think. Thank you. What a delightful uh, uh, couple you are, and uh, hope to meet you in person. Oh, that's good. That would be good idea. I'd like that. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thanks, John. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. I'd like to hang out with John. <laughs> uh, yeah. S- sample a few wines, have have a little have a little bit of tucker. <laughs> see, see, seems like be a good friend to have. Yes. And, uh, and quite quite a delightful part of the country to be in also. And uh, de- dealing with a beautiful part of the country, we have another beautiful part of the country coming right up right after the break. So don't go away because we'll be right back. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Coming up, we have Lauren Angelucci McDuffie. Uh, who There's is, a handful. Huh? Yeah, it is. There's some, and, there's some Irish in there. There's a variety of other influences, I think. Yeah, and uh, Lauren is a freelance writer, a food stylist, and a photographer. Lots of talents. And she created the blog Harvested Honey. Um, while she lives in, in Indianapolis, a city I know quite well, uh, her book, Smoke, Roots, Mountain, and Harvest, introduces us to traditions and recipes from central Appalachia, uh, and she tells us wonderful stories. Okay, so here's Lauren coming right up. Here is a lovely book by Lauren Angelucci McDuffie. It's called Smoke, Roots, Mountain, Harvest, Recipes and Stories Inspired by My Appalachian Home. Uh, welcome, Lauren. And I, I'm going to start by, uh, I said it was a lovely book. I want to emphasize that it is, um, the, your writing is not only lyrical, it's absolutely poetic. And your, oh, you. your photography, you do all the photography yourself. And uh, it's has very romantic overtones to it. So that it is a lovely, lovely book. 
Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And um, tell us, just to start with, because we've had other um, cookbook authors and chefs on the program who have um, discussed Appalachian food. And as you and I were just discussing, it's a very vague definition geographically, but you're part of Tell us, first of all, what it could be, Appalachian, and what your focus is on Appalachia. Well, geographically speaking, Appalachia technically um, is comprised of a really large portion of the eastern United States, about 13 states in total, all the way from New York, even parts of southern Canada, I think, technically, down into um, Alabama and even a smattering of some foothills that maybe even stretch into Mississippi. But I think when we're talking about Appalachia, typically we're referring to more of a cultural region. Um, and in, in, in my book in particular, I'm, I'm talking about what I call also the Mountain South. So it's more central, central Appalachia. So I grew up in southwestern Virginia and in eastern Kentucky and spent quite a bit of time in um, in West Virginia and uh, western North Carolina as a result of that. So that's really where I'm focusing on in my book. And when I say Appalachia, that's, that's home to me and that's the part of Appalachia that I'm referring to. And as I told you, I, I have a fondness for uh, West Virginia. I mean, every time somebody starts country roads, I join in. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Country roads. It's a... Yeah, take me back. It's an addictive song, like, and I actually, um, yeah, I refer to it in the very first paragraph of my book. Yeah, it, was, it, it, it literally inspired uh, the book. I was listening to it one day. My daughter, who is six, she knows the words to the song, to the song, and was belting it out one day. And it's just um, a nostalgic song. It reminds me of home. And I just the light bulb went on, and I thought, well, that's it. That's. I could do a book about home. It's, now, the, you know, funny, the funny part about it is the singer who made it most popular was John Denver. And he, John Denver. He was from Colorado. I know, right? <laughs> right? He ushered it in, and then other people have, also <laughs> have covered it as well. But you're right, that is funny. <laughs> yeah, now, uh, you, you started as a, in this business as a, a freelance writer and also a blogger, and your blog is called Harvest and Honey. Um, so yes. how long have you been doing that? So I've had my current blog, Harvest and Honey, for going on six years now. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's been wonderful. It's turned into a little more than I, I think I anticipated when I when I started it. Um, I actually had another food blog. I, started, I think it it was about nine years ago now that I started it, right when food blocks sort of hit the scene and became, you know, a thing that people were doing. Um, it was called The DIY Chefs, and I just kind of cooked my way through culinary school textbooks because I truly love cooking, and I'm sort of a nerd for food, and I chronicled my um, progress through that, just kind of a homeschooled chef kind of thing, and that I really enjoyed that. But um, my daughter was born, and I eventually kind of, broke up with that blog um, for a little while. My priorities shifted, but when she was just a little bit older, I found that I was ready to kind of um, revive that creative outlet of mine that I really enjoyed. So I started um, Harvested Honey when she was about one, and mostly as just a creative outlet, but it has definitely grown into 
something more than I'd anticipated, but it's been it's been a nice journey so far. Well, now your your book, I, th- I suspect, is something more than you thought it was originally going to be. Absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. That wasn't even close to being on my radar at the beginning, so that's been a happy surprise. <laughs> yeah, well, you say it's a cookbook full of comfort food and storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. It, you know, it's actually interesting. You, you say it's organized by seasons, which mm-hmm. most cookbooks seem to be anymore. Um, yeah, but you you sort of deviate from this direct mission. And go into other things such as, uh, well, like your even your your larder um, yes. is is different from the usual larder. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, you specify. First of all, I'm so happy that you like black walnuts because I hated uh, them. Yeah. I hated <laughs> them my whole entire life until um, what is it, Hammond? The the, yeah. the guy yeah we we interviewed him and he sent us uh, black walnut samples and I didn't have to crack wow. them open you know and so yeah yeah <laughs> and so I got That's to really bonus. taste these and now I love them yeah I yeah do we, too. we wish they'd send us some more I know. Oh, maybe, yeah maybe they will <laughs> the, the oil yeah, was the oil was really good too yeah the black walnut oil was excellent to use in cooking. That's right. It is. Yeah, I've used a little bit of that myself. It is nice. Um, but you're right. The book is organized um, by season. But I like how you worded that. I do kind of deviate a little bit from from the seasons, and I, they end up becoming just the seasons are almost like vehicles for the storytelling. So when I was organizing the book, I I just started with the seasons because I genuinely cook that way. Um, and then I thought, okay, let's start with fall. What do I love about the fall? What do I love about the fall back home? You know, what are people, places, and things that I automatically associate with that time of year? And then the stories just kind of took shape from there. And, and then the recipes, I um, I just would kind of try to tell the story of the season via actually the writing itself and through food. So that's sort of how it all took shape. Right. Um, and, you, and you have, you, you, you describe each chapter as a menu with yeah. five, with five or six s- sort of related things together. Yes, Can I do, and I that was sort of it's a, it's sort of loose menus. I think you could make all of the things literally as a menu um, to be served together, but you can also pick and choose and cook the things you want at any given time. So sort of a loose nod to menus and occasions. You know, I, I took me back a ways when one of your essential kitchen essentials equipment mm-hmm. is the pastry blender. I still have yeah. my mother's. I have my mother's. You do? Yeah. Oh, that's special. That's very cool. It's going to last forever, too, because she never uses it. I never it. So if you want to spare, let us know. We'll make you a hell of a deal. But, okay. you, you know, I mean, nobody uses those that's anymore, true. I don't think, do they? I know. I love them, though. I just... I don't know. Sometimes I'm just more of a sentimentalist. I think about things and that I practicality goes out the window. But I do. I do genuinely use mine. I make a decent amount of pies. And um, yeah, but that's I think sometimes I can see my yeah. mother doing this, cutting the butter into the flour yep. for pies, which she did yeah, all the grandma. time. And, and, yeah. and I, I had her make pie crust in my uh, food processor once, and she yep. couldn't believe it. She thought it was yeah. the worst thing she had ever tasted in her whole entire life. <laughs> I know, sacrilege, right? Yes. 
that's funny. Now, you're, these are comfort foods, um, but you also you modernize them and you yeah. introduce some accents and flavors that are definitely not from this geographical region, right? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. I think I think the book has become mildly almost controversial <laughs> among people, crowds who maybe sort of didn't quite catch what it was I was trying to make with this book. But, but really what I was trying to do was blend my own interests and cooking interests as a person who develops recipes uh, professionally um, with things that um, are very specific to where I'm from. So it's, it's truly a fusion cookbook um, and a way for me to kind of honor a place that I know to be really cool, for lack of a better word. Um, its foodways are fascinating and really rich, and I wanted to honor that and kind of expose people to it while also um, sharing some things that I like in my day-to-day modern kitchen. So, yeah, it is a blending. Now, ex- explain the chicken and dumplings with North African spices. <laughs> so, that is truly a marriage. My my grandmother made really excellent uh, chicken and dumplings, and she did it in a very, a very traditional way, and I have such a vivid memory of the chicken, the whole chicken just sputtering and simmering away in a huge stock pot on the stove, and I would get to roll out the the dough and cut the dumplings, and it was just such um, a strong memory for me. I knew I had to do that in the book, in the chapter where I basically am honoring my grandmother. But I make a lot of, I just, I must have a particular affinity for North African flavors and spices. Um, and I make um, a lot of Moroccan food, and we go out to Moroccan restaurants a lot, and it's just, um, they're flavors that I really like. So yeah, I thought that too. would be a, yeah, and I thought it'd be a nice opportunity to kind of play around with those with some of those flavors in this really classic uh, preparation of um, chicken and dumplings. So that was a fun one, honestly, to recipe test. So, and I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, you, you tell all kinds of interesting tales about experiences, such uh-huh. as, like, I mean, you, you have directions for building an outdoor campfire. <laughs> <laughs> if the mood strikes and you truly will want to... Uh, to take that chapter all about cooking outside and telling ghost stories. And, yes. You know, my, my editor and I, we were talking about the book, and we just decided, you know, we should provide people with a, <laughs> a resource in case they really want to make a go of it. might come in handy. You never know. <laughs> right. Well, you, you do s'mores from scratch. I mean, <laughs> yes. You like I this know. from scratch for everything, don't you? <laughs> you know, I don't, actually. I um. I, I do think there are certain things that are made better or, or that are just better when you make them from scratch. Um, and graham crackers, I mean, it's basically a cookie, more or less. Um, it's a sweet, a sweet cracker. And they're just so good when you can control the amount of, like, cinnamon or allspice or nutmeg or whatever you want to add. And mm-hmm. um, they're, they're very delicious. And, and marshmallows are really easy to make. Um, and just the just requires some time to set up. And they're also significantly more delicious than the ones you buy in the bags at the grocery store. But I'm, I'm also quick to point out that you certainly don't have to make the right. whole recipe from scratch. You can you can do some swaps. Yeah, now, um, w- one of the chapters in your book that I got such a kick out of was Apothecary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, a little nod to the folk medicine. Yep. I want to know where you got your mood ring that's in one of the photos. (laughs) (laughs) 
You know, it's funny. I love how often people ask me about that ring. I'm so glad I ended up. That was kind of an 11th hour ad. Actually, oh, it was photo. wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, I found that. Where did I find that? Oh, I found it at a, um, oh, you know, I got that on Etsy, actually, an online, just an online shop, um, a little jeweler on Etsy. Um, but, yeah, I knew, I thought adding the visual of the mood ring would really support that story. Yeah, so, did you yeah, really get it to that. go blue? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it does, and it means you're relaxed, apparently, or it just means that you're cold, <laughs> I think. I think it's the yeah. cold, yeah. So, I think you're right. But you have some interesting um, recipes as medicine kinds of things in here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm really big on turmeric, and you have this great tonic with turmeric yeah. and cayenne. Tell us about that. So I love I love things like that. Recipes like that, um, I find them to be very refreshing. And it's funny because um, tonics or tinctures or uh, smoothies and juices are so trendy now. Oh, yeah. um, the whole wellness culture has become such a big business, and it's so it's so kind of in your face and trendy now. But really, really, these I love just the simple nod to the origins of folk medicine because that really is something that was rooted in the history of, of this place where I'm from, and um, using what grows around you to kind of heal. Um, is just a very practical thing. So I wanted to kind of pay homage to that, but yet do it in a way that modern readers would appreciate and use. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of where those four, those four recipes came from. And I, I also love turmeric for a lot of reasons. I actually like the way that it tastes, the earthiness, and you kind of can't beat the color. Right. Stains your so, teeth, and it has something the, awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you have to watch. If you have white marble countertops, I recommend, <laughs> I recommend finding something to cover the yeah, I am. The inflammatory kind of antioxidant properties. You're, you're, fa- you're fading away a little bit. What's happening with your phone? Oh. Yeah, I can switch. There we go. Okay. Okay. So yeah. you, you also use another of my favorite things, which is come really full circle around, um, I would say. It's now viewed as elegant and gourmetish. It's moonshine. <laughs> oh, I know. Isn't it funny what goes around comes around? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it gets its own chapter. Yeah, you you cook with it, huh? Now, yes. Now you yeah. had, you had an interesting story in your chapter about strawberries. Yes. And you and you you were being interviewed by somebody, I think. Yes, I was. I was on the news when I was younger. I was eight or nine. I was a swimmer, a competitive swimmer for years when I was a kid. I was. And I was. On, yeah, I was. I just, growing up in Kentucky, there was a big swim team culture there. Yeah, but it there, was sort there, of a, there was something, was, there was something else, yeah. that, something else that was interesting. Cause you, you were born with something that a lot of people might consider a handicap. Yeah, I was born without my left hand, the and lower it, part it, of my left arm. It reminded me of a young man who used to work for me. I remember his name now. His name was Mike Casey. And Mike mm-hmm. was born with a similar, with a similar problem. Yes. But but he played everything. He played yeah. football. He played baseball. You know what? You know where Absolutely. he played in baseball? He played catcher. I mean, well, I mean there you go. no, no, he, he played go. no, he, he played he played pitcher. Pitcher. Because pitcher. he could wow. because he could pitch the ball, and then he could bend down and and yep. get his glove and put his glove on his pitching hand. Absolutely. Yeah, and that see that makes sense to me. I mean, I. 
I played volleyball for years, which I think is the kind of thing that would cause people to pause. I was a gymnast, and, you know, it's funny, when you're born a certain way, it's all you know. You know, you don't have to readjust or get used to a new shape. I just came out the way that I was shaped, just like anyone with two hands does, and you get used to the way you are from the get-go, and you live life that way. And for me, it's truly never been an issue. It's just not been a problem. I've never made a thing of it, and I, I, I actually don't lead with it, and I, I tend not to flaunt it. Um, as someone who puts a lot of workout content out into the world on a daily basis, I've never wanted that to be the thing that people right. find interesting about me. Um, right. However, I feel like I've got a few years under my belt, and I, I'm confident that people like the work for the work's sake now, so I was perfectly happy to share that that story. You know, um, part of that story... Because it was a sweet one. Part yeah. of that story you're telling, though, is... Um, about the strawberries, and given yes. your background, I was surprised that you never found strawberries interesting growing up. I mean, <laughs> most kids do. I know, and my daughter eats, oh, she inhales berries. That's, that's her favorite food, so we're sort of night and day. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't come out, I guess, loving fruit, but eventually I did come around, and I gained an appreciation for them at some point along the way. So, yeah, but you're right. It is kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. And now you're, you're about simplicity and straightforwardness and so forth. But I'm looking at this multi-tiered cake, and that's spectacular. Oh, thank you. Oh, that's, <laughs> thank that's, you. Like, that's like the one you made for, for Jay Brown. Yeah, with all those. It took me two days to make this. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and then, you, then you gave the, the leftover you gave the leftover cake away before I could eat it. No, I didn't. Oh, no. You did. That was the tiramisu I gave away. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, is, I, rem- I remember something different. But this seems yeah. to be very uh, strikingly different from most of your other presentations. Your triple orange cake with honey uh-huh. lavender buttercream. Oh, yeah. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, you, that's I do. I like that recipe very much. It's just a little different. And I've been making that for years. Is there a re- is there a recipe in here you don't like? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good point. <laughs> nope. The answer no, is that no, one no. Is particularly yeah, Why would she put a recipe in that she didn't like? Well, just... Wonder if anyone's ever done that. You never know. <laughs> that would be interesting <laughs> to find out. <laughs> well. Anyhow, I, I, you, you cover enough for, to get the, the flavor of that. Now, I'm, and I happen to know that you now live in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And, um, yes. and, and I know since I lived in Indianapolis and I, had a pig roast in Brown County and, and that, Oh wow. Yeah, that there are a lot of, um, local traditions Hoosier traditions, too. Is that something you're getting into? You know, I think so. And the the more I live here and the deeper I get into the food community, the more... Oh, here, I'm going to move a little here for you. Is this any better? Yes. Go ahead. A little better? Okay. Yeah, um, Indiana has definitely got its own distinctive food traditions that I've found... Um, very interesting to get to know. We've lived here for about eight years, and I think I should have done a better job of kind of diving into those. But um, the past few years, I have 
gotten involved with some really cool local food groups, um, a supper club and an indie women in food organization um, that have really kind of exposed me to a lot of people in the food scene in this city. And just doing that alone has taught me a lot about what people here like and where their interests come from. And um, it's been it's been pretty cool to, to live here and experience a totally different kind yeah. of culinary background than I'm used to. I, for, I forecast an Indiana Indiana. That's book. what I'm asking. Yeah. An Indiana don't, cookbook don't, coming up really soon. Don't give oh. up. To see if you can find the location of people's private morale pat, patches. Oh. They won't tell yeah. you. I mean, they go to their grave not telling you, but there are tons of them all over there. <laughs> That's right. You know, I do have one friend here. He's a he's a, actually a surgeon. He works with with my husband now, but he used to be a cook. And he has all these great secret spots for like ramps and morels oh, and yeah. edible flowers, and he's my he's my guy. So he will he goes foraging uh, from time to time, and he brings me goodies, and that's kind of a, that's a really invaluable resource to have. Yes, <laughs> yeah, well, it is. But you have another book in you, I'm sure. And I uh, do. yeah, and I mean, you you were born in Kentucky, and you visited there a lot. And I'll uh-huh. tell you, I've never met people more opinionated by uh, about their particular little dot on the map about food than, than in Kentucky. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds about right. Yeah. Well, and again, <laughs> we're talking right. to Lauren Angelucci McDuffie, and the book is Smoke, Roots, Mountain, and Harvest. And, and it's a really fun cookbook to uh, explore. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is really fun. Okay. And it was really real fun. And we have more fun to come, so don't go away just yet, because we'll be right back after the break. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Okay, well, next up to finish up today's program, it's the season, right? It's the season yeah, for I mean, what? Yeah, we, we got a lot of books about peaches, but it is kind of the essence of summer peaches. And, and, and the name of the book, surprisingly it's enough, is? Just Peachy. <laughs> and here, here's Chef Belinda. You know, I'm talking here to a really amazing woman, Belinda Smith-Sullivan is a chef, food writer, spice blends entrepreneur, and a commercially rated pilot. <laughs> just a month, and she's just written a wonderful book called Just Peachy. <laughs> Welcome to On the Menu, Belinda. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and, and I, I um, had... A, and, we, and we understand you had to come through quite a rainstorm in order to be in a position to talk to us. So, so we're glad you made it safely, and you're with us now. Thank you. Now, um, you you have a, a before I started this. I mean, we were oohing and aahing about the photographs in this book. We better mention the photographer is Mark. Is it Bowton? Yes, Mark Bowton. He's. I mean, the peaches have fuzz on them. I keep feeling them. <laughs> um. Tell us your little love story about peaches, which led to this book. Well, 
it started many, many years ago on my grandparents' farm here in, ironically, Mississippi, where I am today. Uh, I would, uh, I'm originally from Chicago, but spent all of my summers in Mississippi with my grandparents. My mother, who grew up on the farm in Mississippi, always felt that children should spend some time there to get to know uh, where their food comes from and to experience farm life. So off we sh- were shipped every summer to Mississippi, and my grandmother spent the entire summer canning and preserving peaches, and I would help her. And that is where this love affair of mine with peaches began. Well, and then fast forward, when we moved to South Carolina, I'm not knowing that at the time that South Carolina was the peach capital of the South until my neighbors pointed that out to me, and it was as if I fell in love all over again. That's when I started uh, experimenting with peach recipes over the years, and again, this started back in about uh, 2002. When I graduated from culinary school, I had amassed all of these peach recipes, and I thought, you know, this might make a good book. So, so you actually went direct from culinary school to writing the book, or did you do something in between? Well, I had been um, developing the recipes mm-hmm. for about five years before I went to culinary school. I see. And after I got out of culinary school, I had all of these recipes, and I thought, oh, again, this is the makings of a of a cookbook. Because over the years, I had tried to find cookbooks uh, as a reference for myself, and couldn't find anything. So I thought, wow, this, it seems like it's timely for a book that's not just about peach recipes, but that can be used as, an, as, a, as a peach resource, for instance. Yeah, canning. it is. And, and uh, you know, and I, I wanted to uh, include the canning com- uh, component. I wanted to uh, talk about peaches themselves, the history, where they came from. Yeah, you have a section here called Interesting Peach Facts. I thought that was fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the places you, uh, you, well, you say that they originated in China, which I think I I, I got this from, um, there are a bunch of peach children's books that I used to read to the kids. Uh, and so I, I figured, and then one of them I think was called Lucky Peach, right? Or is that no? That's D- David Chang's restaurant, isn't it? Um, but you, you list Pennsylvania, which is where we live, and I thought that this was not a good place for stone fruits. Actually, uh, Pennsylvania is the fourth largest peach producing state in the U.S. Yeah, but I don't know where where it is. I mean, it's <laughs> northeast, I think, Pennsylvania. Yeah. But, you know, we used to have peach trees in our backyard, right in the city. Wow. We live right in the city. But people used to come off the streets and pick them. <laughs> it's, called, it's called stealing, but it happens a lot. So what what are some other interesting facts about peaches that you were attracted to? I'm sorry, could you say again? Yeah, uh, other interesting facts about peaches. Uh, I mean, I really did not think that the only difference between a peach and a nectarine is that the peach has a fuzzy skin and the nectarine doesn't. I thought it was some kind of an unusual cross fruit. I, and I thought the same thing, so I was just as surprised to learn that. 
And but, the, the other thing is, uh, people, they talk about people's complexions as being peachy cream. Mm-hmm. And I, you're telling me here that they use peaches in perfume and cosmetics. Yes. Amazing. Yeah, it is, it is amazing. And that's why I wanted to include, it, to include the uh, peach facts because a lot of these I had never heard of either, you know, until I started the research. And the other thing that was the major surprise was your listing of the peach varietals, and you list them in terms of of the the seasonal appearance of these varieties and where. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, again, just another thing that I learned after moving to South Carolina, you know, again, three basic varietals, which are the cling stones, which are the first peaches, the ones that are just hitting the stand now, and then the semi-free stones, and then the free stones at the end of the summer. And, again, I wanted to give the applications for each. Because uh-huh. while you can do some crossover, it's always best to know, well, what is this particular item best suited to do? Uh-huh. And if you have the, the choice, then that's how you want to use it. See, now you say that the white ones are actually sweeter than the yellow ones, and I always thought the reverse. Yeah, they actually Funny. are sweeter, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my favorite is the donut peach, except that it's so expensive. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, something else that I learned about were the blood peaches. I mean, who oh, ever heard, heard of that? that? I mean, I know blood oranges, but where, where do you get, is it in France, you said? Yes, mostly in France. Never really Sometimes some them. people, you know, will have, uh, you know, hybrids that they somewhere, you know, amassed along the way. And a few people have told me that they have them in their yards, but mostly you find them in France. Well, I have to look for those in France, then. I don't know if I'm in there the right season. You'll definitely be going to France to get peaches, right? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so, so that's, that's what all, your excuse. That's what, that's what all those guys with the yellow coats are doing. They're fighting over the, <laughs> fighting over the peaches. Now, um, They're so uncivilized these days. This funny other thing is you have all these interesting facts. You list peach festivals. <laughs> Did you travel around to these? Well, no, not all of them. But again, I want people... What I discovered and the comments that I got when I started working on the, on the book, everyone kept saying, oh, but that's so southern. No one outside of, you know the southeast cares about peaches so i wanted people to know one peaches are produced in 48 of the 50 states and of course those two states that don't produce peaches are alaska and hawaii and again like you said look at all of the states that have peach festivals people need to know this and they need to you know support their state by taking advantage of these festivals let's talk about these recipes you have some really unusual recipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, never would I have thought of putting peaches with spinach in an omelet. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Belinda, that's a stretch, isn't it? Well, you like it. The people who tested them for me loved it. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, just on the face of it, it's probably a perfect breakfast, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Just think, the spinach is a little bit bitter, and the peach just rounds out that flavor. Now, 
the one that I'm not buying into at all. Oh, this is tough. Now watch out. Watch out. <laughs> you, better, you better duck here, Belinda. You're not going to convince me that I should try peach guacamole. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so good. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> what do, you, what do you, you take the stone out and you put the, put the guacamole in the aperture? Yes, you just mix the avocado with the you know, with the with the peach, and it, it comes out kind of chunky because you don't want to puree right. the peach to do that. But it really is a good flavor if you've ever had uh, gu- guacamole and mango together. Yes. No, it's very again, it's very good. But I'll give you that one if you if you're not going <laughs> to buy in. <laughs> well, of course, I mean I can see all these um, uh, the salsas that you could make with peaches. Uh, and, and I do know about fruit soups, even though I'm not you know, crazy about them. Um, but you have peach and tomato gazpacho. Now, that must be very interesting. It is. And again, I, what can I say? I, <laughs> I think they're all wonderful. Well, there, there must be something you put in the gazpacho, a savory ingredient of some kind, right? Sure. Things like, uh, you know, you put sweet onion in there and, you know, the other ingredients. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasant balance. Yeah. Um, and this one sounds really good. This peach pistachio chicken salad sounds like, I mean, I always think chicken salad needs a lot of help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and spinach peach salad with stilton cheese and walnuts, I'd go for that one too. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite one? Well, you know, when you write a, a cookbook, I think it's like all the recipes are like children. You know, you just love all of them. Uh-huh. But for nostalgia and sentimental reasons, uh, the peach co- the the peach coconut cake oh would yes be, would be my favorite. It reminds me of my mother. It uh-huh. was her coconut cake was her favorite uh, dessert that she'd make only on her birthday every year. Oh my! And so since the the book is dedicated to my mother and my grandmother. That was just one I felt that I had to put in there. And as I said, for uh, sentimental reasons, that would be my favorite if I had to just choose one. Well, I'll tell you, listeners, there's just about every conceivable stretch of the imagination. And and you you suddenly realize that you can use peaches in almost everything. Sure. Well, you know, again, I live right in the heart of, of peach country, and... I personally can't just go buy one or two peaches. I go up there and I get a half a bushel. So you've got all of these peaches yeah, on, your, <laughs> on your kitchen counter. You've got to do something with them, and I believe in experimenting. Well, you did that, and um, I'm, I'm with you, too, that you said that you make um, peach pies. Uh, my mother was a big pie baker, and she did uh, fruit and, and berry pies. And you said yours will were not as good as hers and probably never would be, and I will add that to I could never match my mother's pies. Never, ever. Well, <laughs> I hope that somebody can, uh, can reach out and, and start experimenting and expand their mind about this wonderful fruit. And uh, again, it's Belinda Smith-Sullivan, and the book is called Just Peachy, and it's, the recipes are delicious. It's very informative. 
Uh, you can, uh, there's a whole section I haven't even talked about, about sauces and condiments. Just about everything that you think of is available in this book. It's a compendium of all you need to know about peaches. And thank you, Belinda, because I know you're on a book tour and you're probably exhausted. Thank you for coming and talking to us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Anne and Peter. Nice talking to you. It must, must be time to settle up to the bar and order a Bellini. <laughs> good idea. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> good, good thinking, Peter. Huh? Okay. Thank, thank you so much. Let us not keep you away from that right now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Belinda. Bye-bye. So don't get, don't forget to go get some peaches while they're available and don't forget to get a copy of the book and then you'll be able to work on them together and you'll have a wonderful time. It's named after the book and what's it called? It's called Just, just peachy. peachy. As in, that's perfect, just and, peachy. And we'll be just peachy until same time, same place next week. So be sure to join us then and in the meantime, bye bye.